Welcome to the Start, Scale, Succeed podcast with me, your host, Nicole Higgins, the Buy and Retail Coach, sharing tips, advice, and insight from entrepreneurs that have just launched to multi-million pound business owners. We will be discussing the challenges they faced, advice they would give, and the milestones they achieved and how they got there. Also joining me will be a broad range of experts with some tips and practical how-tos, episodes that will help your business grow and to enable you to live the life you crave. The types of experts that you'll hear from will be those that you will find beneficial as you start and scale your business, from branding and social media experts to mindset coaches and PR marketing. There will also be solo episodes from me discussing a variety of topics from sourcing to maximizing the profit in your business. Today, I'm joined by Maura Fuller, founder and director of subscription box company Craftiosity, and also Subscription Box Academy, where she coaches and advises small businesses on starting and scaling their business. Maura has grown Craftiosity from the kitchen table to what is now a successful six-figure business, so there is no better expert to talk to about starting a subscription business model. Thanks for joining me today, Maura. Hi, lovely to see you. Now, before we go into the practical advice of starting and scaling a subscription box business, can you talk through your background and how you started your business? And um, I know that you're coaching now as well, but just give a little bit of a background to the listeners here, who you are, what you do. Yeah, sure. So I have a similar background to probably many of you that have been listening in that I started out in corporate. So I was an event manager for Ells Court Olympia and had all of the the joy that comes from a really busy job where 60 hour weeks are the norm. Um, Realised that wasn't fulfilling, saw the trajectory that was ahead of me and thought I really don't fancy that and then had a number of years of just trying different things and working out what I did want. So I like worked for a gallery for a while and then realised I was bored silly and that wasn't a good fit either. And then I found a job managing a venue, but it was part-time and that was kind of crucial for me. So it still had responsibility and autonomy, but also it was part-time so I could start to grow my own business alongside that. Um, And actually I started with something completely different. Um, I started teach, well, I started with an early photographic process called cyanotype photography and created fine art prints and artwork through that. Um, sold them through you know shops so they were in Kew Gardens and um, online through not on the high street and so on again realized though that that wasn't the right fit for me I wanted something that I could scale and hand yeah. printing I enjoyed the creativity of creating something but not then the mass production of it mm-hmm. so um, the reason I'm telling you all this is because for many of you you might be pivoting a number of times as well and I just kind of want to reassure that can be normal in the early stages while you're working out what it is exactly that you want to do so did that um and and had an an element of soul searching and realized actually where I wanted what I wanted to do was to help other people to be creative and I'd, I'd heard of the subscription box model I liked the idea of it and did some research, looked into it. I'd been doing a ton of creative workshops right throughout my whole life. I've always been trying new crafts, making new things. Um, and one of my skills is teaching. So the, the ability to take something, explain it really clearly so that someone yeah. else can do the thing and get a great outcome. Mm-hmm. So started uh, Craftiosity off the back of that um, and grew that and loved it. So when was that Moira then? What kind of year are we talking? Uh, Launch Craftiosity... Uh, five years ago so it was like it, I launched it literally for Christmas 2016 
Um, mm -hmm. And at that point still had the day job as well. So I did that for about six months and it did, it, and it was growing. I mean, we literally started with like 22 boxes going out and I was packing them on the kitchen table. Yeah. Um, and I've never taken investment. I've always grown the business from profits within the business. So it was a kind of gradual growth, but six months in, I realized actually I was holding it back. I had to make a choice between committing to growing the business or having the security of still having a day job and a salary coming in consistently. So um, took the leap of faith um, and then it really did start taking off. Once I was putting all my, it's not just the hours you put in, it's when you're focusing your attention yeah. entirely on one thing. And, and also you have to sink or swim. You know, that is an incredible mm -hmm. motivator to make you make it work. Um, and was was there any one thing that that made you take that leap of faith or is it accumulation of of a couple of things the key thing was there was a very strong knowing inside that that was the right thing to do mm -hmm. like when you, when you you know when you kind of you center and you still yourself and you go okay what's the right thing to do here and you kind of drop down into your gut that was so strong it's like this is the right thing to do so there was an element of having faith that my gut knew what was the best thing for me at that time yeah and I lean into that a lot that's still where a lot of my decisions come from no absolutely I think it's so important to trust your gut and trust your instinct and if you've you know that you've done the research and you've already you were already testing it as a model and it was growing yeah. and then like you say that if you can it's not just the time it's the the focus and that you're not being distracted by so many other things that you can then really start to to grow and accelerate your business yeah, it's, it's, it's validating. And, and I, I do think that is a wise thing to do. If you're currently in a corporate job, if you're currently in a consistent salary job, get something out into the world, get it validated that there is an audience for it, and then you can start to kick on and grow. Mm -hmm. Great. And um, so in, was that 2017, then you went full-time into Craftiosity? Yeah, so summer 2017, that's right. And how quickly did that start to grow for you? Was it a, was there a trajectory, a trajectory? How quickly did that start to grow for you? Was there a trajectory or was it quite a steady growth? It's really interesting. It was like year one, I think our turnover was something like 11,000. It wasn't a lot. And I look back on those first few years of it as like year one was me kind of going, is this a business? Does this work? Year two was me kind of throwing everything at it, trying all the things and seeing what worked. And then year three onwards has been more about refinement and continual improvement. So um, we went from off the top of my head, like 11 grand and then I think 60 and then like 90 or 100. And then, and then it just keeps, it's pretty much doubled every year after right. that. So it's, um, it's a consistent trajectory, but what's interesting is when you haven't done it yet, that kind of can sound like it's a fairy story. That kind of can sound like it's something that happens to other people. So it's about learning from folk who have done it yeah. and trusting in yourself to make good business decisions and just continually looking for the improvement. I'm still doing that now where I'm continually saying to myself, okay, what's the next thing we can do to improve what we offer with both businesses, but for the context of this, but you know, for Craftiosity as well. And so, and you mentioned both businesses there. So you have the, you mentioned both businesses there. So you have the subscription box business and then you're also a small business coach as well. Yeah. So um, a few years into running Craftiosity, I've always been someone that people come to, to talk to about things like I've managed teams and so on. Um, 
And I've always been someone that people come to to pick my brain on how to do a thing. <laughs> so that's always that's always seems to have been my role in some way, shape, or form. And I realised actually I love doing that, and I loved mm-hmm. supporting and helping people. And it's one of these things that you kind of do instinctively, and then realise actually that is a real skill to help people remove any blocks that they have to then kick forward with what they really want to do, or to help them see a clear path when they're when it's all feeling a bit muddied and confusing for them. Mm-hmm. So I started coaching alongside Craftiosity a few years ago, um, mainly like, again, coming from an event management background, I love systems, I love processes, I love automation, and specifically for small businesses, when you're kind of a one or two person business, really getting your head around things like automation and how to start working with you know virtual assistants on a, a part-time basis and using that model to scale up. I think coming from corporate, you can sometimes think, I have to have employees or I have to have a headcount of one if I'm going to start getting support in my business. Yeah. It's not that at all. You can get someone like when Craftiosity hit a hundred thousand turnover, my VA was working 14 hours a month. So it, that was a mixture of being really clear about what she did, having great systems in place, but it didn't need a massive headcount to get to that yeah. scale. So I was teaching kind of the, the, the scaling up strategies, outsourcing, um, and then when we all went into lockdown, when COVID came in, the conversation I was having time and time again with people was very much about subscription boxes. You know, people were looking at what I was doing with Craftiosity and saying, okay, everything is going online. People are relying on the postal service. How do I do that? Um, so I pivoted um, and very much focused entirely on the subscription box model because obviously I know a lot about it. Yeah. Um, with, again, that coaching, that mindset aspect to help people the practicalities of the clear path but also how do you take action and get traction on that clear path when there might be other stuff going on that's blocking you okay and so if someone is thinking of starting a subscription box or adding that to their existing business model what do they need to do okay so first of all you need to work out is what you sell going to be right for a subscription box so subscription boxes kind of work on two ways um, and there's crossover the first is uh, replenishment so things that you want and use that you'll be using on an ongoing basis so things like um, if you think of gusto or hello fresh the kind of food subscription boxes or like shaving um, subscription boxes where every month you're getting something that you would have bought any anyway replenished into your house the second model is um, and where that might be more relevant for your your customers, your your listeners is um, is curation. That someone has yeah. curated something special for you that arrives on your doorstep. You know, we're all big kids at heart. It's that Christmas morning thing yeah. of opening up something exciting, a lucky bag or Kinder egg surprise for the that exactly. unboxing and surprise eggs for the adults, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. It's that kind of oh, there's something, there's a parcel on the doormat. Yeah. So, so the curation is a part of it. And I think that's where I see the most successful subscription boxes. Apart from the replenishment, there's definitely a place for the replenishment type boxes. Um, but the curation element, where, where I can see boxes go a little wrong is that it's a kind of, it's a bunch of stuff put together. Yeah. And there's no, there's nothing hooky or there's nothing like, like a theme. exciting. Say it again, sorry. Like a theme sometimes or? Yeah, theme can be, yeah, themes can work super, super well. Um, 
something that makes sense for the customer. Um, and I'll talk in a second about customer discovery. It's an absolutely crucial part of the process is working out what your customers want and how to deliver that. Um, but, but taking it back to what do you do as a subscription box? You know, if you do say the most gorgeous hand-sewn leather purses, that's your, your business. That's not really going to be a subscription model because people aren't going to buy a brand new, beautifully hand-sewn leather purse on a consistent basis. Yeah. However, if you do a, a body care range or a, or, a, um, or a stationary range, you know, the people who love stationary buy stationary all the time. So it's kind of thinking around what do you do? Would it, would it be something that people want to buy regularly? Now, regularly doesn't have to be monthly. It could be a quarterly subscription box. Um, it could be every second month. Um, it could also be a collaboration. So it could be, again, if we, we pick on the stationary example, that you have a couple of elements of your stationery as the focus of the box, plus you then bring in other bits and pieces from other suppliers to kind of work around a theme. So it's thinking through very much not this sounds like a great model and I'd like to make money using this model. You have to first of all work out, does it make, will it make sense for my customers? Because yeah, and like, you, and like you say, the regular purchase. Yes. And I know um, people can skip boxes and that's what a lot of subscription businesses do. They have the ability, they have the ability there that a customer can pause the yes. subscription rather than leaving the subscription. Yeah. But like you say, that it is a regular purchase or a potentially regular purchase that they, that they want to discover every month or every quarter. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so once you've kind of satisfied that element for yourself and, and kind of have a little idea of what that might look like, um, then it really is about customer discovery. So if you've never done customer discovery before, you absolutely have to. It's, it's where the gold dust lies in terms of having a really successful business, no matter what the business is. If you have done it already, though, but you haven't looked at it for subscription boxes, again, I would do it again, just looking very specifically at the subscription model, because it's a different, there's a different buying process for a customer when they're committing to something that is coming through regularly. Now, do make it clear that people can skip or cancel at any time because nobody likes to be beholden into something that they have to pay for on an ongoing basis. Yeah. But at the same time, they're buying into this concept of getting a box from you on a, you know, every month or every quarter from you so what they're looking for then might be different to what they were looking for if they were just buying your product off the shelf and with customer discovery then what what would you advise people to discover ask find out what the kind of questions they need to be asking or, or searching for from their customer sure okay so there's there's a couple of ways i recommend doing this and we go into like a whole module on it in the, the subscription box academy program but Top line, it's um, first of all, doing a questionnaire where you're effectively looking for as many responses as possible. And I recommend people get at least 50 in. So what that means is you need to do a questionnaire that people are likely to fill in. So it needs to be kind of snappy, kind of multiple choice, very kind of quick for someone to answer with maybe one or two open questions where they might put in a little bit more detail. So um, with the questionnaire, well, let me tell you about the second way as well, and then I'll generally for both of them. The yeah, second right. way is to do a few deep dive conversations. So if you're doing, um, like, for example, with Craftiosity, the concept was craft subscription box where every month they get a completely new project, trying a completely new craft to make something that's for them or their home. So it's not something purely decorative. It's something that will have a use. That was the hypothesis. So then questionnaire and also went out and talked to various people who I knew were very tapped into crafting communities so 
I spoke to a woman who ran a local knitting club. That gave me huge insight to the fact that for those knitters, they just love knitting. They're not interested in trying other things. Yeah. That was very powerful in helping me refine, okay, my audience are people who love trying lots of different crafts. Um, but I was also speaking to, for example, someone I knew who um, did a lot with crafting in mental health and supporting people through mental health with, with crafting and someone else who ran the local WI. So it was yeah. kind of like with those conversations, though, it was asking deeper questions, really, really listening and then asking follow up questions that go deeper. So you're clarifying your understanding with both methods. What you're aiming to do is that you kind of go into this with a hypothesis of what you think people are going to want. And then you're testing that hypothesis. So that can be things like price point. Why are they buying it? You know, what, what do they want to get out of it? Frequency. Um, what do they want to see in it? You know, th those kind of questions are the ones that you would ask in the survey and also to an extent in the deep dive question uh, interviews as well. Yeah, great. And so they've done the customer discovery. They've found out that it's a viable idea. What's after that? Okay, so after that, um, I always recommend just having a bit of playfulness and fun with it. So I love once you've got a concept, once you kind of have an idea of the direction of travel, is to just get super playful on what that might look like. So um, like one of the things I talk about and, and with my students is things like if you're doing, say, an archaeology subscription box for kids, if your idea is, oh, it'd be amazing to have like Harrison Ford dressed as Indiana Jones talking to people every month about, you know, that box. Yeah. That's the blue sky idea. <laughs> But it might lead to you going, actually, I could get an actor to dress like a, an archaeologist and to have, you know, a bit of fun. Or maybe we could have like an illustrated archaeologist that's yeah. part of the thing. So, so start blue sky, start creative, start fun and playful and bring your fun and playful energy to thinking about what you want to delight the customers with. Again, this is the delight is the key word here. If you're doing something that's curated, how do you create that delight from them? How do you create that theater of unboxing where they open up the box? And it is like theater. You, you have steps you go through, you're taking off the tissue paper, you're, you know, the first piece of print that you see, you're taking things out of the box. There's a, there's an element of performance to opening up a box and going through what you've curated for them. So thinking really playfully about that before you start into that. And then how do I deliver that? Um, so start playful. Then, um, then we're really into the kind of practical stuff. So it's like, uh, okay, where do you find suppliers? Where do you find suppliers for like your box, your packaging, the stuff that will stay largely consistent month to month? Where do you find suppliers for the other contents? If you're not just using exactly what you do, um, things like uh, the practicality so things like thinking through your customer journey of once they buy how are they buying how are you setting up the recurring payments so the kind of practical elements the tech on that um, and then how you'll fulfill those orders so there's a bunch of stuff in there that's kind of like the back of house stuff to yeah. then deliver that box to people as well and just going back one step to the playfulness and the the delight so there are you really kind of talking about the branding the visual identity and that side of it as well in terms of what, so I know that you're saying about in terms of what it looks like. So do you mean the branding and that whole visual identity that the customer is going to get? And also the contents. Yeah. So, so also thinking through, you're creating an experience. So it's like what's, and, and visual uh, branding, all of that, that's part of the experience. Um, what's actually inside the box is part of the experience. And then it's those little 
fun things you think of or those little touches that you think of that then make it a little bit more special. So one of the ones, for example, that I really like is um, Bloomin' Wild who do a flower subscription box. Mm -hmm. Your flowers arrive wrapped in brown paper, wrapped in a really beautiful pink kind of gossard ribbon uh, with a sticker over it that says, shh, your flowers are sleeping. Mm -hmm. And it's just little touches like that. It's thinking through what can you do to make it special. Branding can be, branding is a huge part of it, but it's also thinking about those little moments that you can create in the box as well. Yeah. Okay, great. And then you get to the practicalities, like you say, in terms of your your suppliers, your contents, how many items you're going to have in a box, what you're, what you're just nailing down, I would imagine your retail prices. And so if we can talk a little bit about profit and costings and that can you touch into that a little bit yeah so this really is one of the reasons why I love the subscription box model both for us as the owners of businesses and for our customers is that if you're doing the subscription box model and if you focus on the subscription box model you are always you're selling direct to customer so where you currently would sell retail or, or wholesale through shops and you have to build that into your profit margins, you're now just going direct to customer. So that kind of middle stage goes entirely and, and that really does change your profit margins quite considerably. So we aim for, um, on, on what I teach is to aiming for around 50% as your gross profit. So whatever it costs you to, whatever you're selling for, you then are aiming to do the box, the packaging, the contents, the paying for someone to put the things into the box. If you're not there already, you will get there in terms of having a fulfillment center or bringing in freelancers and the cost of posting it out to the customer. So that's kind of, you may not be there initially because you might not be at the, it depends if you're bringing in stuff from other suppliers. If you are and you've, your subscriber numbers aren't high, you may not be quite at the wholesale rates that you need in order to, you will then Make go on the 50%. other side of this equation. Mm -hmm. You will then become a buyer for your subscription box if you are bringing in other components. Um, but the profitability is pretty high for what is a basically a product-based business. So, um, and the other thing to keep in mind is because of the recurring nature of the subscription box model, most people who buy a subscription box are in for three to six months. That's the kind of average length of subscription. So you'll have some folks that are in and out in a month and you'll have some folks that are in for 20 plus boxes because they totally adore what you do. The average is three to six. So if you're currently selling something online and it retails uh, or your, your, your turnover on it is 20 pound, you're now looking at 60 to 120 pound being the value of the light, that yeah. sale. Mm -hmm. um, and that starts to scale quite quickly. So there's seasonality throughout a year. Generally for um, subscription boxes, it's like e-commerce. We're much busier in the winter months leading up to Christmas um, and it can be quieter in the summer months. But if you average it across a year to get to a six figure business, if you had a box that sold at 25 pound, you'd only need to have 333 subscribers on average. So we're not talking, you know, if you're starting from nothing, that might seem a lot, but it's not actually a crazy number to reach for and yeah. it's completely viable to get there if you've nailed that customer discovery element. So if you were talking about you're going to retail a box for £30, then your items in the box and the box and the packaging and the fulfillment and everything else should total up to 15 That's what you're aiming for, yeah. Yeah. And like you said, I know that from the beginning, it may not be like that because you're doing more marketing and you've got other costs involved. Um, when you start out, what is, and to get people on board and attracting people to your service and your subscription product, your subscription box product, what have you found 
are the the best ways to market? Um, is to have a launch runway to get people excited about the box before you just release it out into the market. So. Um, Partly it's about, again, it comes back to your customer's discovery. It's about being super, super clear about who your audience are. So, um, I mean, this is, this is general across all marketing, not just subscription yeah. boxes. It's about being really clear about who they are holistically, not just the, it's a woman who's 35 to 40 who likes X. It's like, okay, and what does she do in her spare time? Is she someone that loves to go out and, you know, go out for fancy dinners and so on if she loves to someone who goes out walking in nature actually is she someone who loves both you know you kind of get clear on exactly what their interests are beyond just your box and then that can be inspiration for where are they hanging out where else are they listening or or watching or reading where else are they hanging out online and then you're looking for kind of larger congregations of those people to then approach or to 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 bring in yeah so um, the other thing that can be hugely useful on this is that questionnaire we talked about. So mm-hmm. one of the final questions I suggest putting on your questionnaire is um, when, you know, if we, because you position the questionnaire as I'm considering or I'm exploring. So you're not, people don't feel like they're getting a heavy sell when you're asking yeah. them to fill in a questionnaire. So you start it like that and then you end it with, if we go ahead and launch this, if you'd like to know, then please enter your email address. So that can be a very powerful way to immediately start with a semi-warm audience of people who are a good match for your subscription box before you actually go out live. So it's building that email list as soon as you can, you know, from the, like you say, from the questionnaire as well. And um, so we've talked about um, doing the customer discovery. We've talked about pricing. And um, what are the other things that you think when people are starting out that they need to consider when it comes to i mean there's like the back end stuff but that is just it's not just stuff but it's kind of just stuff it's logistics it's practicalities you can learn how to do the things to put the steps in place to make stuff happen um a couple of things one is on fulfillment or on packing boxes is to as quickly as possible look to be outsourcing that one of the things I do see is people start to get a bit of success and then suddenly they're spending three days packing boxes where that's not their genius zone work. There could be other yeah. things that they're doing to grow their business. Um, so one of the great things about the subscription box model is if you're posting everything out on one day of the month, like if your post date is the 14th of the month or whatever it may be, you can start to look at fulfillment centers a lot earlier because they'll be much more interested in working with you if it's like, okay, here's one targeted post out a month rather than here's two one day, three the next, two the next, yeah. etc. on orders. So, so that opens up more quickly for you. Um, but there's interim steps. Like I started, as I say, I started packing them on the kitchen table. Then I wrote my husband in to help me pack them on the kitchen table. Yeah. Then I put a call out for folks that lived in my local area who might be looking for a bit of freelance work. They came and helped me pack them on. Like at that stage, there were multiple tables going on in the house. <laughs> we still had like the house was full of cardboard boxes. It's um, yeah. and that actually for those of you who already have a product business, that's one of the joys of this model as well. Is that when you're working with fulfillment center, you get everything shipped to your fulfillment center. They ship the things out to your customers, and you get your house back. You're not your hallway yeah. isn't filled with cardboard boxes anymore. That sigh of relief that there's no <laughs> kind of arguments over the the dinner table with all the product stacked up at the side. Exactly, we were really lucky because we were in a flat, but it had unusually very wide hallways, <laughs> so, so the hallways were just stacked with cardboard boxes all the time. <laughs> And for people that are already have launched a subscription box and they are starting, it's starting to gain traction and the orders are increasing. 
Are there any tips that you have that can help them scale faster or anything that you did as you scaled that you'd like to pass on or you think that would benefit the listeners? Yeah, so a few things. One, again, I'm going to talk about outsourcing because it's so crucial that you stay in your genius zone doing the work to scale your business, not the like replying to customer replies and so on. So um, look at having like a virtual assistant support you with things identify the things that drain your energy, identify the things that feel heavy to do as tasks and look yeah. to outsource those things. So you stay in your genius zone and in your positive energy as much as possible. Um, with marketing, um, I recommend picking one or two things, like work out where's your low hanging fruit, where are your customers hanging out? Is it Facebook, is it Instagram, is it Pinterest, is it somewhere else? Work out where your customers are mainly hanging out and get really good at marketing on one or two channels then look to bring other things in. Don't feel like you have to do all the things and get yourself onto TikTok and get yourself onto Clubhouse mm. and all of that. Just focus on a couple of things that you're going to do really well and grow those. And I always recommend that your newsletters are absolutely crucial in that because when it comes to things like social, first of all, you're on someone else's real estate. So if they decide to like close your account, there's yeah. close your account. Um, and second of all, if you're just looking at organic, it's like 10% of your posts actually get seen by the audience that have chosen to see your stuff. So they're very much focused on getting you to pay to get content out. So, but with your newsletter, it's then partly on deliverability, you know, has the email actually got into their inbox, but then it's a customer's choice about whether they're opening that. So that'd be my tips on marketing. But the third one and the really, really crucial one is on mindset. So if you've got any ick or double binds around growing a successful business making money feeling good about money this is one I see come up with so many people yeah. is that they've got confidence money stories mm. about how it's immoral to have money and so on there's a push me pull me thing that kicks in where you're like I want this but then it's almost like that would be breaking the binds that you have about what culturally is acceptable to you so um that is a super high level <laughs> touch no, on that. I, no, I agree with you. I think that you can sometimes business owners can get themselves to a certain position, but then there's a fear or a um, of pushing through that boundary of pushing through that income and turnover boundary that's related to something else that's happened before in their past or or like you say, the money mindset that they currently have. So I, th I definitely do think that's something to, to mention and be addressed, which is great. And um, so... In terms of, I read a, a I read a statistic that um, by 2020 the subscription market will be worth a billion pounds in the UK. What do you think are the main reasons that subscription boxes have become so popular, both from a business model point of view, but also as a customer and a consumer? Okay, um, practicality is first of all. You know, it's, it's again, it's um, it's the ease of having something land on your doorstep that has what you want in it. Again, whether that is um, replenishables or curation. Um, but I think the curation is a really key one. And, and it's, it's a really key one that's obviously kicked in even more with COVID is you pre-e-commerce, pre if you wanted to go and find something nice and unusual and specific, you'd go to a boutique shop or you'd go to like a department store that had a kind of more interesting curation to it. Um, and we're looking for something similar now online. So 
Amazon obviously has its place and is amazing for things like next day delivery. And, you know, I want a specific widget. Great. It's with me tomorrow. It's amazing for that, but it's not a place for curation. It's not a place where you like surprise me with something exciting that I haven't seen before. Delight me with something that I'm not expecting to get in the post. So I think that's where subscription boxes come in. It's, It's giving you that boutique shop feel, but to the house. And I think that's, that's where I think that there is so much room for different subscription boxes. It's not like, oh, there's a stationary subscription box. I shouldn't launch one because there's already this one. There's yeah. so many, you know, you know, you can really niche into who are your audience? What do they love? And they will respond to that. Um, and looking again at those figures, you know, you're, you're not talking about a massive audience in order to create a successful business for yourself. And is there any, um, from a price point point of view, from what you've seen, either from clients that you've worked with or from your own experience, um, a, a pricing scale that is the most, the best or most popular kind of retail price or the most successful uh, retail price for subscription boxes? Um, for adults, I generally see them kind of around the 25, 30 price point. There are some that are more. Um, like an example would be something like uh, Stitch Fix, who do uh, basically a stylist curated yeah. box for you. Those can be couple, you know, a couple hundred pounds, um, but it works as a model because it's got that element of like a stylist has pulled together and outfits for you based on what you've said you want. And that's what then arrives as a surprise in the post. Um, so it can, it's, it's working out the perceived value compared to what they might do normally. But as a kind of easy win, something that most people are, are will say yes to that kind of 25, 30 is, is about the right point, but it can be more depending on your audience and the, the product type. That, yeah. Yeah. And the product that you're going to put um, into it. For kids, I tend to see it being a bit lower. So for kids, it's probably slightly more the 15 to 20 pound mark. Like if it's a box that's very much targeting the children's market. Yeah. And, um, are you, are there any areas that you see growing in terms of, uh, product categories with subscription boxes or the most popular ones? Um, growing, I mean, certainly growing has been, has been very much been the practical ones over the last 18 months. What's great about that for the more niche subscription boxes is that it's introducing a wider audience to the idea of the subscription box model. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, thinking of things like the food boxes, the toilet roll subscription yeah. boxes and so on, it's introducing a wider audience to the idea of this model. In terms of niches, what I'm, where I'm seeing people grow is where they where they have niched down what they do. The boxes that struggle are the ones that are trying to be all things for all people or where they're creating a box for women who like pampering themselves because it's not quite resonating enough with a target audience to for them to say, oh, that's me, I have to have that. Boxes like, um, let me think of an example. So, so one I've come across where um, is like a, a spiritual box where every month they will put in, you know, a crystal and a sage to burn or a set of um, oracle cards and so on. It's, it's for a very specific target market. They theme it every month. So they'll have it on different themes. It's not just, again, a bunch of stuff, um, but they're super niched into who that audience is and what they're looking for. That's one that's been successful, is it? Because they've niched down? It's, well, I'm thinking of ones like that. Ones, right. Definitely ones where are niching down. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing some more success. So, for example, one of my clients, she does a crochet subscription box. And when she launched, she hit it out of the bat with, you know, over 150 subscribers because right. she had an audience who already loved what she was doing with crochet. Mm-hmm. And then 
she's now delivering something that's very much in her aesthetic and her style, which is what our audience are already responding to. Plus it's for people who specifically love crochet. So in terms of um, other um, points to finish off and for those that are thinking of starting a subscription box, what should they be focusing on? What are the other things they should focus on? I think one, one thing I just want to mention before we kind of wrap up is probably looking at understanding the model of how you're growing your business. So a lot of people, when they think about marketing, they're thinking about the top of the funnel. They're thinking about how do I find new customers? And actually what we see is the real gains in terms of growing your audience, kick in around conversion, kick in around making sure your website is completely singing together all those little minor tweaks you can make to a website to make it really resonate with your customer that those are in place that's something we really work on um, and then thinking about retention and this is very much more specific to subscription box model if someone is you know in for an extra month or two on average that makes a huge difference to your turnover and your profitability and and then how you can scale the business because you've got more money in the business to keep growing it um, slightly differently to with e-commerce, your thinking is more around how can I get customers back in to buy again? That still happens with subscriptions because people do unsubscribe and then come back in and resubscribe. But your thinking is more around how do I create such an amazing experience from them that when they get their first box, they feel like they're part of something that they're welcomed into it. And then delighting month after month where you kind of become almost like part of the furniture. Of course, they're going to get your box every month because it's part of their life and they love that. Um, they, it's almost an automatic that they don't even think about it anymore. Exactly. It just turns up in the post and it's like you exactly. say, that surprise and delight when they're opening up the box. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Maura, for today. And before you go, where can people find you and how can they work with you? Um, so if you head to, um, and I think you'll pop this in the notes as yes, well. Yes, right? so I'm going to, anything that you mentioned in terms of where your your links and your website, that'll be in the show notes as well. Magic. So it's um, www.moirafuller.co.uk. Um, and there's a couple of uh, free resources on the site. So if you want to go a little bit deeper into this, you want to learn a little bit more, um, two key resources. One is the eight key elements to growing a £100,000 turnover subscription box. Um, that's a kind of free masterclass that goes into all the details and so on. And there's a workbook. It's all go into this in a bit more detail. Um, and then the second one is if you're already up and running is looking at the scale up checklist. So that really goes into detail. It's um, over 40 different things to consider. Now, it's not there to give overwhelm. It's there to give a lay of the land to understand what's your priorities. And we go through how to prioritize that as well. So if this is um, of interest to you, go and check those out. Have a little look at those. Um, I then run a subscription box academy, which is a kind of if you are launching or if you've launched but it's been a real struggle to get up off the ground and you maybe need to go back and have a little look more at the foundation stones that you've got in place that's a program for that um, I have a mastermind group which is more scaling up looking more into the mindset elements of things um, and I'm also creating more kind of workshops and, and self-led teachings on specific topics as well so whole different ways a bunch of ways you could work with me there too well, thank you all for listening and you can find all of Maura's details in the show notes. And if you want to hear and see more from me, then follow me on Instagram at The Byron Retail Coach and you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter, which will also be in the show notes on my website, www.thebuyandretailcoach.com. And don't forget to subscribe to hear more from the Start, Scale, Succeed podcast. Thank you very much, Maura. Thank you.